0: Hey, it's you, man, from KC95 here. Good evening, and welcome to Toasted Tavern. Your host, Scott Tobin, and the man called Wags are ready to bring you the night in sports. So pull up a stool, grab a drink, and let's get toasted. Oh, the wonderful voice of John Hewlett, who we just found out this past week is going to be taking semi retirement Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. Oh, my gosh. I know that's not the way you really want to start off a show, but... It is great to be back. I'm Michael Connect alongside Scott Tobin for another edition of the Toasted Tavern. And Scott, you know, you, you've known John for a long time. You know, we both grew up with him on that, uh The news was not wholly unexpected, but still, it's always a shock when somebody like that decides to, you know, retire in a sense.
1: It is, man. 47 years at, at the great KC 95 for the U-man. The, uh, the mornings are going to be a little strange starting in May when he's not there every morning, but uh, he's still going to be around on at KC. He's still going to do the Sunday Classic show and still do some stuff with Mark Close, and he's still going to show up at their live events, and he's still going to be around the station. He's going to fill in for AD when he's not there. So he's not totally going away from KC, but it will definitely not be the same to not hear the U-man every morning on your drive into work or at work or wherever you may be. But uh, luckily for all of us, he is still the PA announcer at Busch Stadium, so you can go hear that wonderful voice every day and you know on hearing the news I sent him an email the other day and said man John I said, I said it still gives me goosebumps every time we do a show to hear your voice bring us in and he laughed and said he was just happy that we were still going in this competitive sh- in this competitive radio business but uh I'm actually I actually talked to him and I think we're going to get him on here sometime in the next month or so to uh do a show it's been a year about a year since the last time we had him on so we'll get him on and you know talk about his career and the Cardinals and Everything's going on, and it's not all sad news for John because not only was there that announcement for the U-Man, a very well-deserved honor as he's going into the St. Louis Sports Hall of Fame on September 14th. So, you know, the accolades just keep rolling for an absolute legend, and as great as he is as a radio person and a voice and a personality and all those things, he couldn't be a better person, and I appreciate the fact that I can consider, I consider him a friend and that, you know, anytime I shoot him a message or anything, he responds, and he's been more than willing to help us out with all kinds of stuff. As as anybody that listens to the show knows, cause he brings us in with that voice and makes us sound bad. Cause he sounds so amazing all the time
0: that, that he does, that he does. And it's hard to believe. I, I mean, I know that a lot of times the, the hall of fame stuff is is post career, but it, it's hard to imagine that he's actually not in the St. Louis sports hall of fame until this point, but he is going to be going in. It's gonna be a lot of fun. We're going to try and get out there for that for sure. Because yeah, it's uh <laughs> it'd be amazing to see a legend like that go in.
1: Absolutely. Absolutely. And like we said, well, well deserved. So congratulations, you man.
0: Huge congratulations. And, and that's not the only move that's been made. I mean, you know, learn got moved over to the the risotto show and lots of changes going on in the, in the local radio scene, but all of them have been good changes in a sense that, you know, we're keeping good voices around. Uh, we're, we're kind of seeing just a little bit of a, a deviation in, in the way, con, you know, comedy and radio and sports and all that stuff kind of, intermix in, in the St. Louis area. And you know, I, I'll say it again, like I said it a thousand times, how lucky we are to have grown up in St. Louis and to have been able to grow up with the great voices that we had and continue to still have. And it's not just the voices, the fact that these people are great people as well. And they, they help grow the radio business, the St. Louis, you know, idea, and even the transplants that come into St. Louis
1: kind of lift the city up too. And it's really, really good to see. It really is. You know, there's that old saying, you never want to meet your heroes because they're never going to live up to expectations. We can honestly say we've been lucky enough in the radio business in the last few years that people that we did grow up with and are heroes of ours have not, could not be better people. And we could not be luckier to know them. People like John and people like Tom Ackerman and, you know, everybody that we've talked to and worked with and, you know, they've all been amazing. So thank you all so very, very much for everything you've done for us. Oh, yeah, huge thanks.
0: And now, now we get to talk bad about all the sports teams that are here, that are here locally. No, I'm just kidding. I'm just kidding. we we we've, we we have some uh, I guess some struggles early on here in in the cardinal season. we We just saw the blue season wrap up, and it wasn't the way that it wanted to go. You know we're gonna be in the draft lottery, which is coming up in in about a week or so. Uh, so not, not a lot of good things going on there with the Cardinals and blues in a sense, although the Cardinals might be turning things around. St. Louis city, SC doing really, really well. You know, they dropped those two games, came back with, with the resounding win last week against Cincinnati. So, I mean, you look at it and you go, I, think even though the Cardinals are in fourth place and the Blues aren't in the playoffs and all that, I still think that we, we still have a very successful sports market here. We can't, even, can't forget about the Battlehawks either. They're still alive for a playoff spot in the XFL as well. So, you know, you look at all these things that are going on in, in St. Louis, and we, we bemoan the, the struggles of the Cardinals and the Blues, yet we got to be thankful and happy for what we actually have because if you looked at it recently, go, go check out the stadiums in Cincinnati and Pittsburgh and, and tell me what uh, what you're seeing there.
1: Yeah, very true. Very true. You know, I mean, you know, the blue season, definitely not what we had hoped for. But like you said, St. Louis City's exceeded everybody's expectations at this point with what they've been able to do at the soccer stadium. And uh, that's been exciting and fun to watch. You know, the Battle Hawks have had a solid season, like you said, coming down to the last regular season game as they're fighting for the playoffs. And then before we get into it too deep, I'm just going to say one thing to all of Cardinal Nation out there. Calm down. 19 games. We're 19 games in. There's 143 games left. The season's not over. Despite what you've heard, the season's not over. The Cardinals haven't thrown in the towel. It's not done. Just relax.
0: I know. I mean, because I'm looking at it right now, and, yeah, they're 8-11. and 11. They're not where, where we, we're expecting them to be. The pitching has struggled just a little bit this year. But the team they're getting right to face that we both thought was going to be very, very good and could very possibly end up in the ALCS. But guess what? They're also 8-11, and 11, and they're also in fourth place, and that's the Seattle Mariners. So right now, you can't base it off of three weeks and go, the sky is falling, the sky is falling. Yeah, it's been a struggle, but a lot of these things you look at and you go, well, you had the WBC, which is something that is only been around for a handful of spring training. So you had guys that had to either warm up too quickly, get started in their, their routines earlier than they wanted to, weren't able to integrate with the team. And the Cardinals were one of the teams that had the most players in the WSBC across all of the teams. So being able to have these guys come in and form a core, and then you bring in a brand new catcher who's trying to figure out a fluid starting rotation and even a fluid bullpen as well, you, you kind of have to look at it and go, it's very reminiscent of the 2018-2019 St. Louis Blues in the fact that they started off really poorly. Obviously, they were in last place. And then once they kind of got accustomed to the playing style of who they were with and kind of fell into their routines and everything, boom, look what happened. They ended up winning a Stanley Cup. So I'm not going to sit there and say the Cardinals are going to do that same exact thing. But, you know, they it's going to take a little time to get used to it. You saw Wilson Contreras. He's starting to kind of heat up a little bit at the plate. He's been good defensively as well. Had a rocket of a throwout uh, a couple days ago. You got Nolan Gorman, who's up there absolutely mashing. Tommy Edmond had a big day yesterday. So you're, you're starting to see some of these pieces come together. And then all of a sudden, if you get an Arenado and a Goldschmidt hot, if you get Tyler O'Neal hitting a, a well again, it, it's the offense that we expected it to be. It just might be a little bit longer
1: in coming. But it's a big, big, big 10-game road trip coming up. It's a huge 10 game road trip. There's no question. You hate to say that anything's huge and huge in April, but it is because you're, you got to try to get to 500, you know, Milwaukee is really, really hot right now, which I think is going to, I think that's an aberration too. I don't think the Brewers are going to play, you know, almost 800 baseball for the rest of the season. Um, But, you know, things just happen, you know, like you said, the world baseball classic, you know, teams bond and they form that bond and start to really click during spring training. You had 17 guys on this team not there for spring training. And like you said, big names, no Arenado, no Goldschmidt, no O'Neill, no Edmund, no Newtbar, no Michaelis, no Wainwright, no Cabrera, no Giovanni Gallegos, no Andre Palante. All of these guys were other places. And so, you know, Wilson Contreras didn't get the time with a lot of the pitchers that are supposed to be big parts of this team. The lineup wasn't all together as you're trying to integrate, you know, Wilson to this lineup. You're trying to get Nolan Gorman more time in there. You're trying to get Jordan Walker in and used to his teammates. So in a lot of ways, those guys really didn't hardly spend any time together or really meet each other a whole lot until you got, you know, the last three or four days of spring training. And then you're trying to get everything going. I mean, I know they were down there early, so they did spend a little bit of time, but not like a normal spring training. And so, you know, you've got all that going on. Plus you have the new rules, you know, there was no pitch clock in the World Baseball Classic. So all of those pitchers are trying to get used to that. You know, as the season starts, they're the batters, you know, Nolan and Goldie trying to figure that out, O'Neill, all those guys trying to get their rhythms down with the new system that they didn't deal with. You know, did pitchers get enough innings, you know, because of the World Baseball Classic? That could be a big part of it. So, I mean, you can't make excuses because, you know, there's things that just haven't gone right, but those are things that could contribute to it. And then, you know, I mean, they've just – I've not seen a team have the breaks go against them so many times. You know, you look at this team and everybody goes, oh, my God, this offense is awful. I thought this offense was supposed to be so good. But then you look at their numbers, you know, and they're third or fourth in the league in batting average. They're third and fourth in on-base percentage. You know, they're doing all the little things. They're hitting. And somebody somebody will say, oh, yeah, they're hitting, but they're not hitting with runners in scoring position. And you're right. Until a couple of days ago, they weren't. But go back and watch some of those games. Watch some of those highlights because – It wasn't like they were not hitting at all with runners in scoring position. They're hitting bullets right at people. You know, players are making unbelievable diving plays against them. Which I mean, that's baseball. But those things are going to even out. It's not like they're going out there and, and completely struggling at the plate with runners in scoring position. You know, those those trends kind of even out. That's part of baseball. You go through highs and lows, and we've started. We've seen it kind of start to even out the last couple of days. You know, I told I told you in a group text the other day, I said, you can start to see a difference yesterday. You know, that game two nights ago against Arizona that they lost eight to seven. You know, they made it come. They were down seven two and They slowly tried to come back. Made that game eight to seven. You know, Contreras had a couple of big home runs late. They got a couple of hits and you could kind of almost see it then. It's like, OK, they're starting to get some hits with runners in scoring position. Let's see what happens. And then they came out yesterday and they got three doubles in a row to start that game and you could literally almost feel the dugout exhale. It was like okay, we're starting to hit. Here we go. And then then you saw what happened. They were 7 for 15 with runners in scoring possession yesterday. You know, and they had seven extra base hits in that game. You know, you could see, I mean, the last few days when they were struggling, I mean, you could see it. You'd get a run or two on guys on base, and guys were coming up, and they were trying to hit five-run home runs. I mean, you could literally see the sawdust coming out of the end of the bat because they were gripping it so hard. You know, And anybody that's played baseball knows when things like that happen and you don't score runs, everybody tries to do a little bit too much. Everybody grips the bat a little bit tighter, and it can snowball on you. And that's what was starting to happen. And then when you do start to break through, like I said, there's that collective breath where everybody's like – Oh, here we are. Here we go. And then everybody everybody starts taking better pitches. You start saw the walks come yesterday. You know, you saw him driving the ball. You know, like you said, Tommy Edmond had a huge Tommy Edmonds Tom, Tommy Edmond's slugging percentage went up like 160 <laughs> points yesterday. Uh, you know, so you know, <clears throat> anything can happen. Jordan Walker started to look a little better. He'd been struggling the last three or four days. You know, he was on base three times, had a couple of hits. Nolan Gorman's just a monster. I hope everybody that wanted to trade him in the offseason and said that. He was a bust at 22. I I hope you're paying attention because there's the left-handed power bat you've been waiting for. You know, and the other guys, Dylan Carlson's looked better the last couple of days. He started to drive the ball a little bit. And, you know, I was worried about Wilson Contreras. And, I, you know, I'll be the first one to admit it. I was like, oh, my God, is it Dexter Fowler 2.0? Because he wasn't driving anything. He wasn't pulling anything. Everything was little dribblers to the opposite field. And all of a sudden, it seems like he's relaxed at the plate too. And we've seen... What he can do, he's eight for fourteen or eight for fifteen the last four days. You know, he's got six or seven RBIs, a couple of home runs, he's got four or five extra base hits. So things are starting to things are starting to get better. Am I going to tell you now that they're going to win twelve in a row? No, because the pitching the pitching has to settle down. But if you get decent pitching, if your starters can hold the opponents to four or five runs every night with this offense, you should be in most of those games and have a chance to win them because. Even in the games that they've lost, there have been two or three games this year where they've had the tie, you know they've been down three or four runs and they've had the tying runs on base and somebody had a line drive right at somebody or something and they've lost the game but they keep fighting they they keep they haven't given up they keep fighting they believe in themselves and this team's gonna be just fine. One last thing I'll say about it: we talked about them not being where they want to be, but look around baseball. Who's in first place in the NL in West? Is it the Padres who spend a ton of money? Is it the uh, Dodgers who are supposed to be really good? Nope. The Padres have the same record we do. The Dodgers are 500. The Diamondbacks are in first place. Look look in the American League West. Like you said, are the Mariners where we thought they were going to be? No. Nope. Is Houston where we thought they were going to be? No. Nope. You know, so th- it's not just the Cardinals struggling that we're supposed to be really good. You look around baseball, you know, and there's four or five other teams that, you know, you think are going to be there when the season's over and they're at 500 or under 500. So, just relax these things even out, you know, and, you know, and if in 20 games from now, there's still four or five games under 500 and six or seven games out of first and <clears throat> things don't look good. Then we can start worrying, but right now just let it play out. We'll be fine. Well, uh just to let you
0: know, uh Tommy Edmund, his slugging percentage went up 0.125 in the game yesterday. So he raced it a buck and a quarter in just one game and he got uh, th- the, the three hardest hits for a potential cycle. He had the double, triple, and a home run yesterday. Could not get the single to pick up that cycle uh, in, in the game. And he was on deck in the bottom of the eighth inning with two outs and Kisner. Ended up getting out. I was sitting there watching it on my phone. I'm going, please, please, just give him an opportunity. Give him an opportunity. How awesome would it be to see a cycle hit for the Cardinals? Because it's been a while since we saw a cycle uh, in St. Louis. And yeah, I mean, just looking at it, I mean, just kind of going through the, you know, the statistics for this team and if you know anything about me and you've listened to the show you know it's for me it's not always about statistics it's not always about analytics solely you got to have stats and the eye test and all those kinds of things and you're right i mean the, the statistics may not bear it out but the eye test definitely shows you that there are signs of life in this team and then you look at it and you go okay 10, 10 players on this team have have hit at least one home run this year 8 of those 8 of those have two or more home runs but this is where things get fun. No one except Gorman has more than two, though. So the power is there. It's shown that that it's there. And yet it's spread out, which is awesome as well. But now you got to have guys start putting things together. Uh, batting average is 316 for Gorman, 293 for Arenado. Everybody else uh, is hovering in that 270 range, which is for Major League Baseball this at this time. I think it's pretty good. I mean, I, I think you've got a a, a bunch of guys, two seventy five and above, and that works. I mean, look, looking at it, eight players have uh, that have, have qualifying statistics of two sixty nine or higher. So Walker's two sixty nine, Donovan two seventy, Edmond and Contreras two seventy four, O'Neill two seventy six, Arnato two ninety three, Goldie's at three thirteen, and Gorman is at three sixteen. So you have eight players that that would qualify for the batting chase right now, and all of them have 269 or higher in the batting average department. And the strikeouts haven't been that bad as, either. I mean, Gorman is at, at 16. Tyler O'Neill's at 21. But I would say outside of O'Neill, everybody's walk-to-strikeout ratio is relatively good as well. O'Neill's is 5 to 21. So that's, that's something that needs to be fixed. But once again, he's hitting 276. So maybe there is something going on. On the flip side of it, though, you had the comments that came out, you know, about a week or so ago from from Coach Ali Marmol. And, you know, it, it seems like O'Neal maybe has slowed down even more and and dogged it a little bit more. And that, that that's kind of where things I think where fans are, are getting. Not not upset, but it's where the questions are starting to come from are, you know, is there some sort of division in the clubhouse? Is there. a a manager problem is there a player problem is there something going on that's that's kind of leading to all of this stuff as well where you know they're they're making their own bad luck in a sense by not having something
1: cohesive in the locker room i don't think so i think i think it was just i think it's just a lot of frustration because things weren't going the way they wanted it to the bad breaks kind of a thing you know the ollie the ollie taller thing you know i mean stuff like that you know managers and players have those conversations all the time you know, should it have gotten out into the media the way it did? Probably not. But, you know, from people that people in the know, you heard you've heard that they've had this conversation more than once in the past, the last couple of years. And so Ollie felt like, okay, we've talked about it in private, so I'm gonna air it out now. Uh, Tyler didn't necessarily agree with it. Although I think it's kind of interesting because if you've noticed, there have been two or three games since that happened that O'Neill didn't play. But then Ollie put him into pinch run in those because in those games. So he 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 knows the speeds there. I don't I don't think there's really a problem there. I think I think they were both irritated that night and it got kind of blown out of proportion. But I think it's okay. You know, from everything I've heard, I don't really think there's an issue in the locker room. I think everything's cohesive. I think they're just trying to get through this rut. And, you know, as we all know, and you know, is the old adage in sports winning cures all ills. And you know when when you start struggling and things aren't going the way you're supposed to, those things get magnified. And when you start winning and start to get in a roll, you know you kind of go, "Oh yeah, that happened." But oh well, we're all right. Let's talk about it later. You know. So I think they're going to be fine. I think it's just everybody had high expectations and it hasn't exactly started the way you wanted to. But uh, you know, I think it'll get better. The thing that we do definitely need to get better though is our starting pitching, especially the guy that I'm concerned about. And, you know, I had an issue with the fact that they gave him the extension that they did. Miles Michaelis does not look good. You know, and is it the fact that he didn't get enough innings in the World Baseball Classic, you know, that he wasn't here for spring training and didn't get stretched out? But he's just not looked good. He's not hitting his spots, his velocity's down. I mean, he he's had a lot of soft contact and some bad breaks, but he's also had a lot of balls he just get absolutely crushed. You know, he gets hitters down two strikes and then he can't finish them. I don't know how many hits he's given up with two outs. You know, just uh, it's not good. Not good enough for sure, especially a guy who just got basically a $40 million extension. So, you know, you need him to be better. Uh, You need Steven Max to be better. The guy who you gave the money to last year has not really lived up to that contract to this point. You know, I'm going to make a bunch of Cardinal fans mad here now too. So if you're a Jack Flaherty hater, I apologize. But we're getting closer and closer to the point where Jack's starting to look like old Jack. I mean, is he ever going to be the guy that we saw in the second half of 2019? Probably not, because that was a historic run that he was on, and he probably ruined his career. He, he probably pitched so well for those three or four months, the second half of that season, that no matter what he does the rest of his career as a Cardinal, people are going to go, yeah, but it wasn't 2019. Where's that guy? But, you know, he's definitely... Every start that he's had since since opening day and even the, his first start, you know, he walked whatever it was, seven or eight. But he didn't give up a hit or five innings, had a shutout. He's pitched really, really well, you know, and has gotten progressively better in every start. You know, the other night didn't end the way you wanted it to because the bullpen Palante came in and kind of fell apart after they took him out. Jack wasn't happy with people with being taken out and kind of let it be known that he wasn't happy about it with his facial expressions and his expression at the dugout after Pallante gave up that grand slam. And, you know, I find it funny because I see all these Cardinal fans going, man, that's selfish. You can't show up players like that, blah, 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 blah. You can't let your, can't let your emotions be known. And then like in the same sentence, in the same comment, somebody posted a picture of Chris Carpenter and said, man, I wish he was back on the team. And my response, my response was, he couldn't pitch in St. Louis now because fans would be complaining about, "Oh my God, he's staring down batters and he's staring down his teammates and he's screaming in his glove." And you know he's selfish. You know, no, he's a competitor. He wants to win. It makes him mad when things don't go well, and that's what you want from a starter. You want him to be mad when a guy doesn't make a play. You want to be want him to be mad when the manager comes and gets him. You don't want to be like, "Oh, here you go. I'm ready to come out. Take the ball from me. Please come get me." I, you're right. I mean,
0: the fact that he he does show the same emotion, the same fireiness as, as Chris Carpenter does, as a Bob Gibson did. I mean, and that's that's the other part. You know, you want to you want to complain about that, yet you're celebrating one of the fieriest pitchers I think in all of baseball in Bob Gibson. You know, the guy that would brush you right off the back of the plate if it was his own mother, he would do right. this, he would do that if she hit a home run off him. So, I mean. That, that's that's the piece that doesn't square well with me. And I think it does come back to the fact of everybody wants him to be like that second half 2019 guy. And if he doesn't do that, then he's not dominant. If if he would have gotten a huge contract extension after that 2019 season and then has produced what he has produced since, there there's a small, small bit of ability to gripe about that but this guy's still in arbitration in a sense. So the Cardinals aren't paying him out the butt to try to pitch like this. And he is pitching well. I mean, just, just looking at it. Yeah. He he gave up four runs against Arizona, four runs. He was responsible for, for a couple of those runners. And when Palante gave up the grand slam, his ERA is a 295. He won his first game where he walked seven and struck out four. But in that time, since that game, uh, he, he's evened up his walks and strikeouts, 17 walks, 17 strikeouts. He's only walked four batters in his last two games, 10 strikeouts combined in that. So, you know, he has improved. Yes, more runs have come across the, the last couple of games than uh, than br- before. But, you know, you also have to remember, he's still trying to, like, work himself back as well. He's not fully back to his potential and his, his health as well. So the fact that you've seen him increase innings pitched, and now six innings. His ERA is still sub-three. Yeah, it jumped up almost a full run because of the four that were allowed against Arizona on the 17th. But I I think, again, you can't look at just the stats. You have to look at the stats, the eye test, and and a whole bunch of other things that go around it. And if you look at the eye test, the last couple games you go, okay, yeah. Yeah, his stuff is starting to, to, to show what it should be doing. And if his defense is good behind him, He's going to get the outs. I mean, his ground out to uh ground out to a uh, air out ratio is 1.29. So he's getting ground balls when he needs to. And he's got a defense that, that is great at picking up ground balls, especially at the corners. So he's doing everything he needs to do. It's just, you know, when, when the offense doesn't score the runs to support him, then all the blame comes back to him. And then right there, that goes back to it. You know, if, if this team can score four, five, six, seven runs a game, then you look at your starters a whole lot differently if they give up two or three runs because now you're winning games seven to three or six to three versus losing them four to one, four to nothing. That's where it comes down to it. So if you get both those things working in tandem, all of a sudden you got a great team and people are going, "What? What about that eight and eleven start?"
1: Right. Yeah, and I think that's what's going to happen. You know, I think the the rotation is going to settle down, and if it doesn't, you've got some guys in the minors who can come up and, you know, are showing that they're pitching really well. Dakota Hudson's looked really good in Memphis. Matthew has looked really good in Memphis. Gordon Graceffo's looked really good in Memphis. So you've got three guys there that could potentially come in and, and help things out. Plus, you know, Wayno had his first start in Springfield. It didn't go great yesterday. He gave up a couple of runs in three innings, a home run. But, you know, he's working his way back too. He's going to have one or two more starts down there. So there are reinforcements coming that's going to, going to solidify this rotation, hopefully. And if it doesn't, then you're going to have to go out and make a move. Um, I'm going to say one more thing, though, about Jack before we move on. You know, Jack's become a lightning rod in St. Louis. You know, there's a false narrative around him that, you know, people are just convinced that he doesn't want to be here, that he's a California kid and he wants to go back to L.A., which, you know, he's done nothing but say the exact opposite of that. You know, even at the winter warm-up, he talked about how much, you know, being around Yadi and Wayno meant to him and how much it would mean for him to spend his whole career here and with one organization and, and be a Cardinal for the rest of his life. And, you know, it's that, it's that false narrative that he doesn't want to be here. People were saying that the other night after when he was showing that emotion. Oh, he hates it here. He, he hates this team. He doesn't want to be here. He wants to be a Dodger. You know, there's a lot of people, unfortunately that are going to hate Jack because of things that have nothing to do with baseball yep. because of, because of his thoughts and the fact that he's not afraid on social media to say what he thinks and to make a stand. And there are a lot of people that don't appreciate that don't like it. And so they don't have any respect for him and they don't want him here, which is a shame because he is, he is a good pitcher. He's a talented guy. And I not trying to brag. I got to spend some time with him the other day after the game sat out I actually sat on the tarp with him for about 15 minutes on the field after the game the other night while he was waiting for some family to come down and just talk to him. And he couldn't be a cooler guy, man. He, he likes St. Louis. He loves being a Cardinal. It means a lot to him. Like we talked about Bob Gibson meant a lot to him. You know, they had a really strong connection when Bob was still here. Chris Carpenter means a lot to him. You know, his first couple of years here, Carp was around and there was that connection. Him and wayno have a great connection. He would love to be a Cardinal. So I wish, I wish that narrative that he didn't want to be here and that he doesn't like St. Louis would go away, and people would just respect him for the baseball player that he is, and forget all the other stuff, especially the the political stuff and the personal views, because that needs to not be part of it.
0: And I think, and I think you're one hundred percent right on that. And I think that's that factors in way too much in in this day and age of, of of sports. I want my I want my athletes to be opinionated. I want them to stand up for what they believe in. Um, but you, you can't, you you have to be able to separate the personal from the, the athlete in a sense, you know, when, when it's the on the field stuff, you can't let the political side of things factor into how you feel about them out there on the field. Now that even can be taken too far as well, because, you know, as we've seen with, you know, things like the NHL and the pride nights and and things of that nature, those are, are going away. In a sense, it's, it's such a, a difficult tightrope to walk, to, to express your views, but also to be respectful of the opposite side of things. Um, you know, you can, you can have your viewpoint on what's on on what is out there, but it it is so one-sided nowadays where it's, it's either you're on my side or it's completely wrong, regardless of the side you're on. And and again, there's extremes to both of those sides as well. So it's, it's just, you look at it and you go, I want, I I want them to, to stand up for what they believe in, but we as fans have to really, really be very careful as well in how we view that person athletically based on their views but also we have to hold them accountable for those views as well, as as we should be held accountable for our views, because it, it's not we're not in the limelight. We're not the ones that are that are out there putting our, our lives on display in a sense. So we, we still have to be respectful of that. They need to respect us as well. And it's it's such a it's such a very weird combination and, and it it always goes back to my my thought process. And I love sports. I love being a part of the sporting world. And I love all this stuff. And yet I still sit there at night and go, how come we're spending hundreds of millions and billions of dollars on games when teachers, police officers, firefighters, paramedics, all, all the people that really make this country run? they're getting the short end of the stick a lot of times when it comes to finances and, and recognition and support and praise and all those sorts of things. It, it It's, it's always a weird conundrum that you sit there and go, these athletes are getting paid hundreds of millions of dollars. And yet our teachers are having to pull out money out of their pocketbooks to fill their classroom with pencils in, in a sense. And you got to give credit to a lot of, a lot of athletes will support those organizations oh, yeah. and, and give money and, and show up and do all those things. so it's, it's not like it's two separate worlds, but it still is, is a really, really weird thing to think about when, when you really step back and look at it and it's, it, it's, I don't know. <laughs> it makes you go huh, a lot of times.
1: It does, you know, and you're right. And a lot, of, a lot of the athletes will say the same thing. You know, they realize it. They're like, you know, it, it's out of whack that I'm making a hundred million dollars and nurses and teachers and firefighters are not making you know there's you know they're barely scraping by and they do all these heroic things and we play a game they most of them realize it and they understand and you know in a certain to a certain extent they don't have a control over it either because it comes down to the fact that their bosses have set that standard of paying that payroll you know if their bosses weren't willing to do that you know it's not like they would quit playing ball you know it's just you know, it, it is, it's a weird thing. And we could talk about that for hours and we, we don't have any answers. We just kind of go around in a circle, but yeah, you know, and, and going back to to the initial thought, you know, it's funny because people want people want to know about their favorite athlete. They want to have, we want to see your personality. We want to hear your opinion, but it better not be different than what my opinion is. And you yep. better not think differently than I do, or I'm going to hate you because of it. That's exactly what
0: it is. You know, I want to hear your viewpoint as long as it matches mine and nobody is going to match everybody else's viewpoint. I mean, everybody has different uh, a different moral compass in in a in a sense, but as we see nowadays, that moral compass is so off the board in in some instances that it doesn't matter how great of an athlete you are. Sometimes if you're way over here, <laughs> It, it just doesn't, it just doesn't fit. It doesn't work. So that, that, that is a story for another day and another time. And uh, yeah, that did take us a little bit away from uh, the, the doom and gloom that was the Cardinals, although, you know, they, they won their last game. So that, that's the greatest thing. Then they're heading up to Seattle where they're going to play three against the Mariners. And then they have uh, another tough continuation of that road trip is they had to San Francisco and then LA. So and they're facing teams that are in the same boat as them, in a sense. They're middle of the pack right now. They're struggling a little bit, dealing with injuries, trying to figure out where they're at, and all those things. And uh, I, I kind of want to go back to you were talking a little bit about pitching, and how they've got these guys that are in the minors that are doing well. And you and I were kind of going back and forth a little bit today about you know the the DFA of Madison Bumgarner, and you know we both are of the mind that for a time Madison Bumgarner fit the Cardinals' mo perfectly. He was a Cardinal through and through as far as what he would bring to this team. Um, he's got a, a, a five plus ERA. Uh, has struggled in his time with Arizona. it's kind of been, I wouldn't say dealing with injuries, but you could tell this guy is getting old, even though he's only 33 years old. But, you know, you, you kind of posed the question earlier about, you know, for league minimum, should the Cardinals take a flyer on him? Because, you know, he fits the mold and, and, and all the, these things and the Cardinals need some help pitching wise. And and it, it really kind of made me step back and go, okay, we know that these pitchers have been struggling this year, the starters. We also have these young guys, not even so much all young guys, because, you know, you talk about the Dakota Husbands that are down there right now, and they're doing well. So, if you would go out and sign Madison Bumgarner, are you sitting there saying that these guys down here in the minors are doing well, but they're not good enough to come up and compete at the major league level? Or is it that, you're not giving up on the season, but going, okay, we're, we're going to go with what we got. We're going to bring in another guy from the scrap heap. It worked in the past. Maybe it'll work again. And we're saving these young guys and, and trying to build their, their
1: confidence level going into later in the season. No, see what I, me personally. And I was thinking about this after I posed the question, I think if I did do that, if I reached out to bumgartner and said, Hey, you know, we will give you league minimum, come in and see if we can fix you but I don't think you can immediately put him on the 40 man roster. I think you have to say, Hey, we'll give you a contract. Come in. We'll pay you a league minimum, but you've got to agree to go down to Memphis or you've got to go down to Springfield for two or three starts. Let's see if we can fix you. Let's see if we can figure out what the deal is. And if you can find some version of the old mad bum, then, Hey, we bring you up and you go into the rotation or maybe the bullpen. If not, you know, we say, okay, we gave it a shot and we we DFA you too and we move on. I don't think you immediately say, oh, we've got Madison Bumgarner, throw him in the rotation and don't worry about it. I think you bring him in and take it, you know, it's a crapshoot. Let's throw him down to the minors, see if he's willing to do that, see if he's got anything left and, you know, maybe you strike gold for the rest of the season, you know, or <clears throat> if not, you know, it's a, it's a low risk, high reward type move to make and just, if he would be willing to do that, I don't, I don't know that he would be willing to come in and go to the minor leagues, but if he is, you know, it it couldn't hurt, you know, because if you could figure something out, if you could find that flaw and there's a chance that you could get some version of postseason Madison Bumgarner down this stretch. I mean, that only makes your team that much stronger in any, any way, shape or form that you could use him. Oh yeah. Yeah. I mean, if, if he is willing to do it and you get any glimpse from the past
0: of him, all of a sudden, it's a dangerous proposition to have him either in your rotation or, or your bullpen because you look what he did. I, I still just can't believe, I'm shocked that he's still just 33. I think that's the thing that really kind of blows my mind is that, you know, he was so dominant in that run by San Francisco. And now you look at it and you go, yeah, this guy might be done. He might be done at 33. That just doesn't seem even plausible. But you know, you look at it and you go, maybe, maybe he just needs to find the right system and the right voice to kind of get himself right and and maybe that is you know going down to memphis and doing what he needs to do and then coming back up and it's gonna be interesting to see how how it plays out i mean i don't know if the cardinals are ready to make a move right this second and who knows maybe bumgarner's not ready to make a move right this second to get back and maybe he needs to take time go home see where his mind's at and figure out what he wants to do and then make a decision from there and at that point you might be at that 10 15 game mark from now where you sit back and go okay let's evaluate where we're at and see what we want to do. I mean, you could be at at a point where you're starting to level things off a little bit. Your, your offense is clicking. Your, your rotation is starting to rise up a little bit. Maybe you still go out there and and put a fly out flyer out there for him and take him into the minors to see if you can get him into the bullpen. Because, you know, the bullpen has been taxed a little bit as well. I mean, we talked about, you know, Jordan Hicks uh, a little bit uh, in our chat about how he has just absolutely struggled this year, but, You know, they made a small change, moving him to another side of the rubber. And all of a sudden, the last couple games, he's pitched very, very well. Now, he was also asked to go down to the minor leagues and decided he didn't want to do that. So could that have been that that, that piece that kind of lit the fire in his ass and said, hey, you know, this team doesn't see you as somebody that can be put into high leverage situations. I got to show them that I can be. And then making that small tweak and that small adjustment. And getting his mind right might have been the thing that switched things over to where all of a sudden you're starting to see Jordan Hicks as a pitcher and not just a thrower. Because that's what I saw him as. He was a thrower. He would get back there. He had rear back and throw. I've seen the stuff he has. He's got stuff. He's got good stuff. And yet he just never could really put it all together. He would come in. Last year, It was if you got an inning out of Hicks, it was an inning. It was a good inning. And then you come back out for the next, and then you walk a bunch of guys. And now this year, it seemed like it, you couldn't even get through an inning without him walking a bunch of guys. So you got to pair that up with, again, working with a brand new catcher and Contreras, figuring out tendencies and things of that nature. But if this team can get a Jordan Hicks that we saw the last couple of days in that bullpen and he's effective as a pitcher, all of a sudden things change around. Maybe you don't need a Bumgarner coming in.
1: Yeah. I mean, if you could get Jordan Hicks right and you put him into that bullpen. And it looks like maybe they've gotten Hennessy's Cabrera figured out. He's been filthy here the last few times out there. If you can get those two guys right in that bullpen to go along with at the back end to go along with Gallegos and Helsley, then you're really, really good. Um, you know, am I confident that Jordan Hicks has things figured out? No, because you know, while he's looked really good, and I was the first one to say, Hey, Hicks looks really good tonight. They've been low leverage you know games. you know, last night he pitched in a game where he had a nine run lead two nights ago he there was they were down by four when he pitched. so there really wasn't any pressure on him. Let's see what he does when you put him back in a game where it's tied or it's close and and see if he can handle that pressure. But yeah, if Jordan Hicks can make a couple of adjustments, realize that hey, I don't have to try to overthrow everything I can actually pitch and I have good enough stuff that I don't have to throw one hundred and five all the time and be wild and have no idea where the ball's going which, you know, a lot of times he lets go of the ball and you have no idea where that fastball is going. Uh, You know, if he can figure that out, if he can make those small adjustments and realize, hey, wait a minute, I've got to make some changes or, you know, my career in St. Louis is in real jeopardy. You know, maybe he does figure it out and he could be a a huge piece if he can get that straightened out and find that control. I mean, like I said, he could be a real weapon in the back end of that bullpen if he can figure it out again. Daddy
0: can't. Daddy can't. Well, the Cardinals are on the road. They got three against Seattle Friday, Saturday, Sunday, then they have four in San Francisco Monday through Thursday before wrapping up their road trip with three in L.A. for coming back home to face the Angels at the beginning of May. All right, let's jump over to the other side of the state real quick and talk a little bit about the Kansas City Royals, a team that, unlike the Cardinals, wasn't expected to do much. and. So far, they're doing exactly what fans expected them to be four and fifteen on the year. But again, this is a team that no one expected much from this year. It's, a, it's another sort of mini rebuild for this Royals team, and they're just going to have to kind of deal with it. I mean, you got Bobby Witt Jr., who's starting to, to, to heat up just a little bit, hit a big time home run uh, against Texas, but you know that was about the only offense that they had. Uh, you know, looking at the Royals. It, you got you got youth you've got youth and that's the thing that you have to just continue to remind yourself of is you got youth and you've got a guy in salvador perez that is probably the right guy to help bring this youthful team
1: up they're just not gonna win a lot of games no and you know it's disappointing for royals fans because they had a really good spring you know they they had their expectations raised just a little bit because they had the second best record in the cactus league this this spring you know and they looked good i mean like you said, there's there's a they're a young team. They've got some more young players coming. They've got a pretty good farm system. You know, they've got guys like Bobby Witt who are starting to starting to find their way. You know, they've got our cousin Nikki on the team who we have to root for every time we get the chance to mention him. Um, but uh yeah, you know, it, it's frustrating if you're a Royals fan, because you know they had years and years and years of horrible baseball. Then you had that run where you had Keane and you had Hosmer and you had Moose and you had you had all those guys and you made that run. You know, you go to the World Series two years in a row, and then it's right back to same old Royals baseball where you just can't win, and it's a constant rebuild. And hey, let's look at next year, and we've got some guys coming. You know, hopefully, you know, hopefully with some of this this group that they have coming in the next couple of years, they can kind of put that four or five guys together and make a run like they did when Hosmer and Mustakis. And all of those guys came up together basically within a two or three year span and you and you can kind of build something. And they've got some young pitching, you know, and you've got a guy there in the veteran in Zach Greinke, that can hopefully show some of those guys the right way to do things. And like you said, you've got Salvi Perez there still. So, you know, hopefully they can rebuild and hopefully in the next couple of years they can be they can be competitive again because that division's not great either. I mean, Minnesota's good, Cleveland is is hanging in right there. I think the White Sox are a pretty big disappointment to this point. You know, I they've got a lot of talent on that team. You know, two or three years ago, I know you had picked them to win the division and really go somewhere. And it looked like they were building in that direction. And then for whatever reason, it seems like a lot of these guys have gotten injured and just not lived up to the hype that they had coming up through the minors. You know, they were supposed to be almost a super team with a, a couple of guys from Cuba they had coming, And, you know, it was really going to be something with the pitching. And, you know, their pitching hasn't really worked. Lucas Giolito looks like he's kind of figured it out again this year after a down year last year. So maybe knock on wood, maybe in a couple of months, you know, they're what seven and 12 right now, maybe they can keep losing. And maybe you can bring a Lucas to St. Louis and him and his old high school buddy, Jack Flaherty can reunite and lead the Cardinals to, uh, to a championship. But uh, going back to the Royals, like we said, you know, it's another, unfortunately it's another rebuilding year for them and, you know, hopefully in the next year or two, things get a lot brighter in Kansas City.
0: Yeah, they've won one game in their last ten this year. They have uh, ha- don't have a guy that has more than ten RBIs. They-, they have nobody that has reached double digits when it comes to RBIs. I mean, looking at their at their raw, you know, their schedule, you know, in their wins, they they scored nine against the Blue Jays, six against the the Giants. And outside of that, you look at it and you go, They haven't they haven't scored more than four runs in a game throughout this entire year and you know that's getting swept twice by the Rangers getting swept by the Braves which you know the Braves are a good team so there's no harm and no shame in losing you know to them they also took two of three from the Giants in San Francisco as well so you know it, it's going to be a long long season for for Kansas City fans but you know as they saw a couple years ago it only takes a small amount of time before you can turn yourself right back around with a lot of young guys. And, you know, in years past, you looked at Kansas city and you said, okay, once, once they saw some, some guys heading to superstardom, they would jettison them and start over and start over and start over. It feels like the last handful of years when they've, when they've had that guy that started to kind of rise up to that level, they're keeping them. They're not letting them go. They're trying to build something there. And, you know, we've been able to, we got a chance to go out there a couple of years ago and, check it out and check out the, you know, Kaufman and all that stuff. And it is, it's a, it's a, it's an A plus organization. They're just trying to figure out the right way to do it as a small market team. And that's, that's crazy to sit there and say that Kansas city is a small market team considering what the chiefs are doing and what they're bringing in, but it's two wholly different teams. And that's the thing. I don't think people you know want to acknowledge is that, yeah, they share a parking lot, but they don't share ownership. So you know the Chiefs are funneling money money into their team in a certain way, and they're winning, and that's why they're funneling money into that team, whereas the Royals are trying to figure out how to be smart with their money to build a winning organization, which in turn will allow them to funnel money into the team like the Chiefs are doing,
1: yeah, and you know what you you know what you're going to hear from the Royals here in the next couple of years. We've got some really good young players. we're going to try to build this organization, and we're going to be trying to be ready to be really good when we get our new downtown yep. stadium, which I still hate the fact that they're moving cuz I was really impressed with Kaufman but uh I guess that's what they think they need to do to be competitive in the uh financial landscape of MLB baseball right now. Well, and they're not the
0: only team is, you know, we heard today that the Oakland A's have essentially secured a space in Las Vegas in order to move the A's out of Oakland, which isn't a surprise. Uh I mean, I know that the stadium itself has not been kept up well in Oakland. There's uh, There's been a lot of disagreements between the organization and the city about building a new, a new stadium. The writing was on the wall for the last couple of years that Oakland was not going to be sticking around. And now the fact that they are essentially moving to Las Vegas just, again, changes the landscape of baseball and, and really sit, makes you sit back and go, okay. Now sports betting, again, is becoming a big, big, big piece of everything. And now you got an NHL team there, you have an NFL team there, you're going to have a Major League Baseball team there. It's not out of the question to have an NBA team there in the next couple of years as well. It's really starting to skew the lines of what is, I guess I wouldn't say acceptable, but it, it makes you sit back and, and really start to question a lot of things. And again, it goes back to the thing of, athletes and, and, and sports teams are big-time money generators, and yet here we are.
1: <laughs> yeah. I mean, I, I just feel bad for the fans in Oakland. Oh, yeah. I mean, think what – we talk about how bad we have it in St. Louis because we lost the Rams. Think about what Oakland's lost. You lost Golden State. You know, the Warriors moved to to San Francisco right across the Bay, which has to kill Oakland fans because – you know, there's such an intense hatred between those two cities. You know, it's such a rivalry for their team to go there. You lost the Raiders twice. Yep. You know, they went to L.A. once, came back, and then they went. Now they're in Vegas. Now you're going to lose the A's to Vegas. I mean, it's just crazy. And you know what's you know what's weird to me? We've heard for years and years and years that, oh, man, Oakland, Oakland's a small market team. You know, they can't compete. They can't financially compete. Well, Billy Bean found a way as their general manager for years and years to keep that team competitive. But you know who's the most cash – like literally cash-loaded owners in baseball is the owner of the Oakland A's. Like he's one of the richest owners in baseball. He just won't invest into his his ball club in Oakland, you know, because he wanted the city to help build a new stadium. And, you know, in California, that's just a non-starter, you know, for cities and for tax funds and, you know – Cities just aren't going to pay it. The population is not going to pay the taxes on building a new stadium for multi-million dollar owners, billion dollar owners. And so there, you know, it's just, it's a shame because Oakland has such a rich history or the A's have such a rich history in Oakland going back to those teams in the seventies, that won, you know, three world series with Reggie Jackson and all of those catfish Hunter and all those guys were there through Tony's teams in the eighties and nineties with McGuire and Ricky and, Eck and Dave Stewart and you know, those were some of my favorite teams as a kid to watch with McGuire and Seiko and and all of that. And that place was packed. And then you go into the early 2000s with Mulder and Zito and and those guys. But here's a story that I heard about how bad the Oakland, Alameda County Coliseum is. The Mets were there to do a game last week. I think I know where you're Have you going heard with this. this. Story? I think I know where there, you're going with this. There was a there was a possum living in the walls of the broad, visiting team's broadcast booth and was relieving itself in the walls of the broadcast booth. And it smelt so bad in there that they literally had to move their broadcast to a different part of the stadium because they couldn't handle it. When you have possums living in the walls of a professional sports team stadium, it can't get a whole lot worse than that.
0: No, it really can't. I mean, it was like the rats at the arena. I mean, when, when that – uh when that really pushed out there, when you saw him just out there and about, when when fans were in there, you just you knew it was time to to make a change and build a new a new stadium. But uh, yeah, it's it's tough. I mean, because Oakland has that history for sure, it, it makes you it makes you sad to see that that franchise leaving. But I will say this: I, I got to give it to the citizens of California, in a sense, to not back down from a guy with that much money saying, Oh, you know, we could build a stadium, but you got to fund it. Like I I'm, I'm okay with that. You know, like I don't mind for myself. I don't mind putting some of my hard work and hard earned money towards taxes that will help fund the building of a stadium. I don't mind that because I enjoy it. It it's something that's a passion for me. I'm going to go to the games, but in turn, I also sit there and say, I see the, the other side of the coin of if, if I'm a citizen of this state and I am not a sports fan, why should I have to pay for a building that's going up unless I'm getting something in kind? You know, are, are, is some of this tax money going to build a new opera house or a, a park or, or something along those lines? So uh, I when, when someone has the money like these owners do and they can fully fund the building of a stadium, I think for the most part, they should be able to do it themselves. You know, Kroenke's done it. And we all hate Crocky, but he he did put his money where his mouth was. He built the stadium. Yeah, he tried to sue everybody under the sun to, to get the money back. Didn't work. And he lost a bunch of money to St. Louis as well. But he did put his money where his mouth is, and he did build the stadium in L.A. and got it done. So with the way money is, it's still – I, I got to applaud the, the, the citizens of California for standing up and saying no. We're not going to do
1: it. Yeah, it's it's such a double edged sword because, like you said, like you said, you know, if you're a taxpayer, you say, okay, what am I getting in in return of that? But you're also going to think, okay, think of all the money that my city makes off of those teams. Think of mm-hmm. all the rest. Think of all the restaurants that are going to close because, you know, they were surviving off of fans coming into bar and all the bars and all the all the waitresses and all the servers and all of those people that are, that are going to lose their jobs because yeah. now. That money's not there. All the parking lot people, all of that money that went into the city, it's not there anymore. And the, you know, and so it does end up coming back and hurting you because you did you did it did help the city because all of that money does eventually trickle down in other ways that goes to fund other things. And you know, it's it's just a big circle that you have to understand and look at all the way around. I, I understand what you're saying about now wanting to help, you know, millionaires may become billionaires, but at the same time, it also when you don't. And they leave, then it ends up hurting your city and the community and everything else as well too. So,
0: I mean, I'd really be interested to see, especially in the case of Oakland, um, you know, just the financial differences in the last ten years uh, of you know because you've seen it the last couple of years, just the, the severe drop in attendance, fans boycotting going to to the stadium and things of that nature. And you know, what what is the the, the revenue difference uh, for that that area? in that time frame, just to see. I mean, if it obviously now at this point with the fact that so many people aren't going to games there, them leaving probably won't hurt as bad as if it was ten years ago, kind of in their heyday when people were going to games. But I've also I've been to Cincinnati. I've seen, you know, what they've got up going around, you know, that ballpark and we all know the comments that were made last year by, by the Reds owner as well. And we we've seen it here the last couple of weeks, just, you know, the emptiness of that Cincinnati stadium and that I I'm right there with you. I mean, all the people that have jobs in that surrounding area to, to not have a team there to have people come in on game day and, and fans from out of town coming in all that kind of stuff. Yeah. It would be an absolute killer. And, that's, again, going back to the, the, to the whole concept of the emphasis that we as a, as a society put on sports that, you know, the livelihoods of so many people are affected by the decisions that multi-million and billionaire owners are making. And it it is it's such a double edged sword because you want to sit there and say, no, we're not going to support you making a ton of money. But at the same time, when you say no, all of a sudden you might be losing money, and it's just it, it is it is such a fickle, fickle thing.
1: It really is, you know. And I mean, you know, that goes. You can bring that all the way back to St. Louis and the Rams. You know, that's why St. Louis <laughs> eventually said, "Okay, we will build you a stadium downtown on the riverfront mm-hmm. because you know we can then revitalize that whole area of the northern part of the riverfront, and all of a sudden there'll be all kinds of new." construction and new jobs and new infrastructure and new it and then crunky said no i'm good and so you know you know you just have to look at it that way too i mean there's so many things that sports do you know so many people again this is a this is a conversation we can have for hours and go back and forth because we both see both sides of it but you know there's a good and bad to everything and that's just another part of it
0: that it is that it is all right let's let's keep talking about actual sports then uh the blues wrapped up their season uh about a week or so ago uh against dallas they lost back-to-back games to wrap things out they finished at 37 38 and 7 on the year and yeah that that's a it's an okay season not not what we expected from the blues this year considering how close they seemed to be last year to to really advancing deep in the stanley cup playoffs if not for the injury to jordan bennington which We won't rehash that again, Uh, but it does give them a chance at at doing decently at rebuilding this team a little bit. They're going to have the 10th pick in the draft, although they do have a 3.5% chance of moving up to the number one overall pick, which if that's the case, they uh, can draft Connor Bedard and all of a sudden be right back in the thick of things because that guy is a freaking beast. And we saw what he could do in, in the minors this past year. Um, you know there's still a lot of there's still a lot of question marks around this team despite them being so close last year and really kind of being close this year in a sense um i mean i'm not going to sit there and say they were right there on the cusp of going deep in the playoffs again but they they also had a team that could have won more games and you look at it and you go there's a lot of money tied up in the defense still you're going to have to bring up, uh, you know, Joe Hofer is going to come up and be your backup next year. That's the one thing they did this year was kind of extend him out to, uh, you know, a, a one way contract. And he is going to be the backup to Jordan Bennington next year. And I think that's great. I think both those guys are going to work very, very well together. But it's really, really going to come down to what Doug Armstrong can do leading up to the draft and post draft with maybe moving around some of these defensemen with high value contracts. Um, you know, they've got two. Uh, two first round picks or three first round picks in this summer's draft. uh, Although two of them are not eligible for the draft lottery, but still, I mean, they're going to have three picks in the first round, which Doug Armstrong can use to package maybe to move up or maybe to get a defenseman on another team and free up some cap space, because this is also a team that probably still needs to make some moves at the forward position as well with, even with the trades of O'Reilly and Tarasenko, he still don't have a whole lot of firepower in that, forward grouping.
1: So it's gonna be a really interesting offseason for the Blues. It really is. It really is. Now now let's go to the ugly part. Because I, I have a lot of questions about this team just, just from the comments we've heard from everybody involved with this organization in the last week. You know, because I was thinking okay they played a little bit better the last couple of months. You know, you had some guys come in, things looked a little bit better. And then to hear in the last week or so To hear pretty much everybody involved with the organization come out and say, yeah, we knew pretty much after the second week of the season that things were so bad it wasn't going to work, that this team wasn't going to work. It didn't click. Things weren't good in the locker room. You have players coming out and saying, you know, there wasn't professionalism in the locker room. You know, you've heard players pointing fingers at guys for not showing up for for voluntary skates for not showing up for voluntary meetings guys that you know are supposed to be the future of this team not taking things seriously being more concerned about video games and social media than they are about their teammates and playing um you know you hear army say you know he's never felt so disconnected from a group and doesn't know how to relate you've heard baruby say kind of the same thing um that doesn't make me feel good it doesn't make me feel like hey next year this team's going to be in a playoff it makes me think holy crap, this is a bigger dumpster fire than we ever could have imagined because it doesn't sound like the two guys that are supposed to be the the future of this organization are mature enough to handle it or care enough or you, you hate to say that, but that's really what it sounds like is that it doesn't sound like the other people in this organization believe like that they're mature enough or care enough about this team and winning to turn it around. Well, and if that's the case, why did you sign them
0: to those long-term extensions after last season, leading into this season? If you even had those question marks to begin with, you, you had a season in which to figure out if that's something you wanted to lock up long-term. Now, I'll say this in you know exit interviews this this past week, you know the guys that we had question marks on seem to say the right things in in a sense, you know, the guys like a Jordan Cairo saying he knows what he needs to do to, to continue on and become better in this, in this league. But again, that's a conversation that needed to have been had before a long-term contract was, was extended to him. So the the blues have kind of made their bed and are going to have to lie in it. And as we've talked about all this past season, that means Barubi's job's on the line. I think his seat is 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 warm to begin the season. And if they don't start off well, he's going to be out the door very quickly. And not to say that it's his fault. I mean, you can only coach the team that's given to you. And if the, the, the general manager doesn't build a team to suit your system, then you're gonna you're gonna be the one that suffers for it because GMs are not fired on, on a day to day basis like head coaches are. Players aren't traded on a day-to-day basis that head coaches are fired like. So, you know, Bay is going to have to get a lot out of this team early on to really cool that seat down. And I think having a guy like a Braden Shen possibly being the captain next year might be something that will help move that forward because I feel like he definitely has that locker room and can command it. Um, now, that, that being said, if they bring back Ryan O'Reilly, I, you know, obviously, he was the captain when they left, when he left. He can come right back into that role and go forward with it. But, I mean, that's that's another thing. Who knows if he's going to even come back to St. Louis. Now, Toronto, I'm not going to sit there and say Toronto got fleeced, but, you know, you, you trade Ryan O'Reilly to Toronto, scores a hat-trick in his second game, and then he's out injured for the rest of the regular season. Uh, I'm looking to see if he's even playing in this game, although you know, the Leafs are up 6-1 to one in Game 2 against Tampa right now which is a big bounce back for them but you know to to have a, a ryan o'reilly who is back in the lineup somehow in a six to one game he's a minus one uh so he, he was out there for the one goal against by by tampa bay but you know if he doesn't come back i mean you still got Shen, Buchnevich, Saad, signed for next year. You've got Kyrun Thomas. Uh, I really liked what I saw out of Jakub Verana this year uh, when he got here from Detroit. Obviously, you're going to have to see that extended next year. I mean, Kasperi Kapanen is a fourth-liner who, you know, did his job, and you've got him locked up for next year. I, I liked what Sammy Blay brought, although I think he's a third-liner at best. Jake Neighbors is going to be phenomenal for this team. Um you know, I, I like Alexei Toropchenko. I think he's a guy that is phenomenal as well. He's a, a restricted free agent, arbitration eligible, so he'll get a bit of a raise. And then you look at a couple of the guys that you're losing. You know, Logan Brown. He didn't move the needle for me. A, a Joss Levo, a Tyler Pitlick. None of those guys really moved the needle for me. They're not gonna They're not gonna unlock a lot of cap room by letting those guys walk. But you know, if you are if you're able to trade one of these six and a half million dollar defensemen which the only one that you're going to probably trade is Tori Krug. Um, that, that gives you the ability to go out there and, and bring in a, a high-caliber kind of forward that can help solidify this offense because, as, as is want with the Blues, they just don't ever go out there and get a guy. I mean, Tarasenko was a guy for a while, and, yeah, he was probably the guy for a little bit, but when you're the guy on a team with nobody else that can score – you're going to be a guy. They need somebody that's going to be the guy along with a couple of lines, which right now they've got a couple of lines. They need a guy that can come in and just be a complete offensive threat and and really kind of produce for this team that we haven't seen since the likes of Brett Hall.
1: Yeah, I mean, and those guys, those guys aren't easy to find. They produce uh-huh. long lines of Brett Hall. They don't exactly grow on trees. You know, we talk about this team and, you know, Ruby can only do with the team that he's dealt and, you know, they try to build how much of what a disaster this year was. Do you think goes back to the fact that they were all pretty sure that Matthew Kachuk was coming to St. Louis last year and they all, they had all their eggs in that one basket. Cause you know, he was the hometown kid and he was going to be kind of the, not the savior, but he was going to be that bright, shiny object. And it, it's just kind of like they had all their eggs in that one basket and they were all convinced that was going to happen. And when it was didn't, it was like, okay, crap, we have no plan B. Now what do we do? See, here's the
0: thing though. I mean, we're looking at it as fans and we're all sitting there going, yeah, he's coming here. He's coming here. I'll be perfectly honest. I don't think the blues had any thought that he was coming to St. Louis because you had to you had to have made a trade. This wasn't a this wasn't oh, right. a no, I know. this wasn't a Matthew Kachuk, hey, you're gonna come, do you want to come sign here? This was a we've got to work on a deal with Calgary in order to make this happen. And I think they knew that with the teams that were going after uh, the Matthew Kachuk and who they had in their minor league system as untouchables, I don't think they, they felt like they could compete anyway. So I don't think they put all their eggs in that basket. I think we as fans put all of our eggs in that basket because we're like, yeah, we, we yeah, we'll give you we'll give you Nikita Alexandrov and and Matthew Pekka and, and yeah, that'll bring in Kachuk here. So I think a lot of fans had all their eggs in one basket. I don't think the Blues, in a sense, had all their eggs in that basket. I think they were hoping that they could entice Calgary to make it happen because they know what Matthew Kachuk could have brought to St. Louis. But in in no way, shape, or form do I think the Blues hedged their entire offseason on bringing Matthew Kachuk here because for two reasons. They were up against the cap as it was. And they were a goaltender away from beating Colorado in that, in that playoff series last year before Jordan Biddington got hurt. I think they really truly believe that the team that they had was good enough to make another run in the playoffs.
1: So here's a question. Here's another question for looking back on it now. How big of a mistake was it not to include Jordan Cairo in a package to go get Matthew Kachuk with everything that we've heard. And I mean, let's be honest. I mean, it's like everybody in the organization is piling on Jordan Kachuk I uh, <laughs> can buy their names. Jordan Cairo has now become Jordan Kachuk. Keith had another kid that he didn't know about. Um, you know, I mean, it's like everybody is piling on Jordan Cairo and they're not trying to hide it. I mean, Jamie River, I mean, just everybody, Jamie Rivers, Bernie Ferdurko ripped on him the other day. You know, I mean, all of the media has just piled on this kid, you know, there, there was no hiding what Who Army was talking about the other day. I mean, he he was going right after him. Ruby's done it for two or three years. At what point do you think with all of the – I mean, does, has the kid just totally tuned out everybody now because he's like, you know what, I'm, I'm going to do what I want and nothing's going to make anybody happy and I'm going to be the scapegoat, so I'm just going to play for me and not worry about the team? No, I, I honestly
0: – I don't think so because – you know, the, the big gripe with him early in the season was he didn't play defense and he was a, a, a severe negative player. Well, after a lot of that backlash came out, you saw an improvement in his defensive play. Now, granted, it didn't stick for the entire season. He needs to be a lot more consistent. And I think the, the one thing that, that I'm going to hit on, on, on what you were saying about him, about people piling on him. What was the one word that you used in there? that has no bearing whatsoever on the fact uh, of what Jordan Cairo is thinking. You said the word media, okay? It's media. Everybody in the media is going to pile on somebody when something goes wrong. You want to know why they're piling on Jordan Cairo? He was a minus 38 player this year. Plus minus isn't the end-all be-all when it comes to defensive statistics. It, it still is not good. I mean, a minus 38 is not good. But this kid scored 37 goals this year. 36 assists. He's 73 points on the year. He was three goals away from a 40 goal score. So this kid has the talent and he has the drive to score offensively. It's a matter of putting it together as a complete game. Let me ask you this. Back in the early days of Vladimir Tarasenko's career here in St. Louis, what was the big thing that everybody griped on Vladimir Tarasenko about? It was his defense. Oh, I agree. when he left when he left St. Louis, was he not one of our better two way forwards in this, in this, on this team?
1: No, I, I totally agree with you. Yeah. And you know, and going back to media, I'm, I'm, like I said, I'm not just talking about media. I'm talking about guys that well, – yeah, you Wait, know, Armstrong he, did it, yes. Yeah, Armstrong did it. Federico did it. Jamie Rivers, who is involved, is isn't just media, is involved with that team on a daily basis. I mean, guys that you don't normally hear really go after players like that in public have all done it and consistently done it. I mean, let's face it, barumi Bur- has been on his ass for three years now, you know, since that 19 team when he came up basically you know they've had they've been back and forth and and you know I'm just curious because it doesn't seem to be helping the kid he doesn't seem to be doing anything different he seems I mean has he just said okay this is the player I am and if you don't like it too bad I mean because it kind of seems like he's tuned everything out that everybody's saying hey you need to do these things and is he not because you know that was kind of the thing that that was kind of the thing that a couple of the guys, during, the other guys on the team, even talked about during media day the other day was that, you know, some of those guys weren't willing to work on things that they needed to work on, weren't willing to come to mandatory skates, weren't willing to be good teammates in those aspects, and you know, those that's a bad look for a kid. You know, when when that gets out, you know that that doesn't do anything to help. You know, that's that's kind of the Ali, that's kind of like we talked about Ali Marmol going after Tyler O'Neill. It's kind of the exact same thing. I was just about to say there were two things I had, I was kind of going to question you on about was
0: what is the difference between what Marmol did with Tyler O'Neill and what these guys are doing with Jordan Cairo? And the second part of that, what does that say about the senior leadership of this team where a player doesn't go to a voluntary workout or a voluntary skate or what have you? What does that tell you about the leadership of this organization and of this team when a young player sits there and goes, I don't want to do it, and a veteran can't get him to get to a, a voluntary practice to show, hey, the reason that I got where I got was because of this. The reason you got the Stanley Cup is because you got this, and that's the other p- piece of it too. You know, a Cairo and a Thomas, you know, they're Stanley Cup, they're Stanley Cup winners, so they got that early on in their career. So yeah, maybe there's a little bit of a, of a big head on their shoulders, but you know, I, I personally, I think Robert Thomas is a little bit more settled down and, and mature. And, and a better part of this blues team than than Jordan Cairo is up here. But I still think a guy like Jordan Cairo is somebody that's going to be a, a key piece to this team going forward, because you look down the line at what you got coming with, with a Zach Boldick and, and, and a, a Snuggerood and, and all these guys, this team, once again, if everything goes according to plan offensively, can be incredibly dynamic in the next couple of years. And all that's going to hinge on some of these guys really maturing. And I think if you've got a guy like Braden Shen up at the top, as far as captaincy is concerned, that might push some of these guys into the right
1: direction. Yeah, I, I would hope so. You know, although then, you know, you just talked about leadership. It goes back again to, you know, we talked about, well, does Ryan O'Reilly come back? You know, Ryan O'Reilly was the captain of that team. Ryan O'Reilly and Jordan Cairo tried to play together. That didn't really work when they were on the same line. You know, so, you know, we always talked about what a great leader and what a great captain Ryan O'Reilly was. So then if he couldn't get him to do those things, as good as he was as a guy like Braden Shin going to be able to, or anybody as a captain going to be able to do it. Plus there's been talk the last couple of days. I don't know if you heard this. I've heard a lot of people close to the Blues say they're hearing rumors that they may not even have a captain next year.
0: That's not not something I've heard, but I've also kind of been off of social media for the last couple of days with work and all that, but that would be, uh that would be interesting to say the least, because I don't think this team in a year where they, in the year after they've traded a captain, I don't think they've ever gone without a captain to not start a season. And that would be, that would be a very, very telling piece. If they go into next season without a captain, that will tell you all you need to know about what this team is all about and where this team is going because that's saying that nobody on this team has the capability to hold the locker room, and that's not good.
1: Yeah, that's just something that I heard a co- the last couple of days in my car driving. I've heard Jeremy Rutherford talk about that a couple of times that he's heard those rumblings, and I heard Jamie Rivers talking about it a little bit today too as well on my way home that you know there were at least some rumblings that they may not name a captain this year. That would be – in my
0: estimation, a huge mistake. If if what you're saying in these post game and pre- these postseason pressers is that you have a lot of young guys that aren't pulling their weight to get better, and then you go into next season without one unifying voice, you, you've already lost the team in my mind. And that that would I think would really really hurt. And oof, that would that would really change my complexion
1: on this organization as a whole if they don't go into the next season with a captain. Yeah, you know, again, just just some things that they were saying that they were hearing scuttlebutt about. So it'll be interesting to see what happens. And Jamie Rivers, by the way, agreed with you. He thought that would be a horrible decision if they didn't go that way. So well, good. Thank you, Jamie. Thank you for agreeing with me.
0: (laughs) Well, May 8th is the draft lottery. You'll be able to see if the Blues are able to move up and get that first overall pick with Connor Bedard sitting up there. If not, you know, they have they have chances to move up into different points. The, The lowest they can pick is 10th. It's, it's a relatively deep draft, so even at the 10th spot, you're going to probably get a good player. Uh, so the Blues are in a really good position to continue, continue to add to that that cupboard and and build up, uh, but it's really going to come into what Doug Armstrong is able to do with those picks, whether he trades them or, or drafts properly. We'll see how that uh, how that plays out, so make sure you keep an eye on that for May 8th. All right, well, uh, let's wrap up things with uh, the team that actually is the most success, successful in St. Louis right now, And the one that I think a lot of people are still going, do I know enough about soccer? Because (laughs) City uh, SC is sitting up at the top of the table in the MLS after a big 5-1 victory over FC Cincinnati last Saturday. Everybody had to outweigh a a two-and-a-half-hour storm. And the best part of that entire thing, the best part about that entire match on Saturday night was not the game itself. But what Edward Leuven and Joey Klaus did during the tornado warning, they went outside on the pitch to try and see what all the fuss was about about the tornado warnings. If that doesn't scream Midwest right there <laughs> and how much they are now acclimated into St. Louis, I don't know what does. An amazing piece coming out about those two guys going up and trying to check out a tornado.
1: That's pretty great. Yep. Yep. They're they're definitely Midwesterners now. <laughs> oh, there's a tornado coming. Let's go see.
0: Let's go outside. Let's go outside. Uh, but, I mean, I'll say this. You know, I'm, obviously I'm a supporter section holder, a season ticket holder. I'm a big soccer fan. I absolutely love what's going on here. Um, just the fact that this team is successful, and then they, they were able to bounce back from two losses, one that they probably shouldn't have lost. It should have been more of a tie. But after getting soundly defeated by Seattle a couple of weeks ago to come back out at home against the team that was leading the MLS at the time in Cincinnati and really just step on their throats at the very first minute of the game, and then – continue to put the foot down that, that just shows you that this team is not just lucky they are good as blues fan reacts chimes in he did the same thing for his first tornado warning yeah you don't have a whole lot of those out in utah so i don't blame you but welcome to the midwest that's that's your midwest card right there if you go outside during a
1: tornado warning oh yeah you have to do you gotta go try to find the funnel. where is it i want to see it <laughs> and then you look up and you go oh there it is. There it is. Okay, I
0: saw it. Now let me run to the basement. Here, here's my real question though. Here's my real question. Any any St. Louisan or any Midwesterner out there. How many how many of us have actually seen a tornado? And all the tornadoes that all the tornado warnings that we've had here in, in our lifetimes and, and all the tornadoes that have been around here, how many of us have actually seen a tornado in person?
1: I have. Oh quick quick story. I was a little kid. I was I don't know, seven or eight, I was at my grandparents' house outside playing ball. I was throwing a ball up, baseball up in the air, hitting it, going back and getting it, out playing. Early evening, my grandma comes outside. She's like, you need to come in. I said, why? It's nice out here. I'm playing ball. You need to come in right now. No, I'm out here playing. Get in the house right now. Why? You see that big puff of smoke over there? that's not smoke yeah ended up going in the house I actually watched it take the kiddie pool out of the backyard pick it oh up and take gosh. it away yep i had nightmares about tornadoes until i was probably 17 or 18 years old those were that was my nightmare my was my fear was being stuck in a tornado after that oh man believe it or not uh blues fan react saw one in idaho grandparents
0: house as well it was only down a minute or two but it was cool yeah i've I've never seen a tornado in the flesh uh, in my entire time here in St. Louis. I've been a part of a bunch, a bunch of tornado warnings. And honestly, I think I probably was a part of a tornado um, when I was driving back up from Cape Girardeau um, once. I think a tornado possibly crossed behind me down the highway uh, at one point. And then I slept through the one that hit Sykeston uh in that same time frame as well so never got a chance to see one in the flesh but i've always wanted to see one as long as it doesn't do tons of damage and kill anybody or hurt anybody i don't want anybody hurt or anybody losing property or damaging anything like that i just want to see a tornado in its natural environment just kind of being off to the side
1: (laughs) just just over there where it's not
0: bothered yeah just touch down for a little bit put up a little bit of dirt and then go back up in the sky and and nothing happens that's all i want to see
1: Right. Oh, talking about about tornadoes. Did you see there's a new Twisters maybe getting ready to come out next year?
0: I did. I did. That's uh very interesting. Uh, to know that there's a sequel in the works by chance, but uh, hey, you know what? I'm I'm okay with it because the first one was pretty good. It's 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 a shame that Bill Paxton won't be involved involved in it though.
1: Yeah, it's supposed to be based. You know, it's supposed to be about their kids or something. I think. I think Helen Hunt's supposed to be in it, and you know, everybody will get a chance to say cow, same cow again. (laughs) Oh my gosh. Yeah. I remember that.
0: Oh, that takes you back right there. That takes you back. Oh my gosh. All right. Let's you, let's keep talking about city SC real quick. Uh, you know, they, they sit up at the top of the MLS table. Uh, like I said, I think they're, they're more good than lucky. And, and you know, the first couple of games you could sit there and go, yeah, it's, it's the new expansion feel. No one knows what they're doing. You know, they, they're going to win some games. It's all happy. And you all that stuff, and it's going to come crashing down. Well, It did. They faced some adversity in those two losses, and yet now they've come back out and really shown that they can bounce back from that. They got a tough Colorado team in Colorado this, uh, this Saturday night. And, you know, Colorado's record may not be where they want it to be, but they haven't lost in their last four games as well. So they're actually playing pretty well. So it should be a really good test for this city SC team before they come home and face Portland, a team that they've already beaten this year on the 29th of April but, I mean, as, as as a soccer fan like I am, I, I love what I'm seeing. But for someone like you that, that isn't necessarily a soccer fan in a sense, uh, from what you've seen, are you impressed with what you've seen or
1: are you still like, yeah, they're, they're a bit lucky? No, I'm impressed. Like you said, I think what they did against Cincinnati tells you right there that, okay, this team's for real. You know, They're really <laughs> going to make a run. And, you know, I honestly think this team's got a real legit chance to be a playoff team now. I think you have to look at it and go, okay, yeah, those first couple of games it might have been lucky. It might have been that expansion team that nobody took too seriously that just kind of lucked out and got some wins. But when you start beating really good teams, then you start going, Hey, wait a minute. You know, and they didn't just eke by and beat a really good team. I mean, they dominated a really good team. And so, you know, you have to start saying, Hey, this team's really got something, and you know, they've the guys have bought into the team first mentality you know there's not really a superstar on this team it's just a bunch of guys working together and playing hard and you know trying to outplay the other team you know really outforce them and and they've done a great job and you know it's been awesome to see it's been awesome to see the city's reaction to them it's awesome to see the announcer's reaction to the city and talk about how what a great experience that is that's all so cool to see and hopefully they can keep it going and uh, yeah, man, it's been fun. I think everybody, I think everybody started to buy in and if you haven't checked about out, you definitely need to, because it's, it's a fun experience. Oh, it's
0: an amazingly fun experience. And, and the fact that uh, they're just also sitting there trying to get a premier league player in, in Roberto Firmino as well to possibly come in there or one of the sides that has reached out to the Liverpool star to possibly come here this summer. And, you talk about this being a team first mentality, you bring in a guy like Firmino, will that help or hurt that team first mentality? Because he is a superstar player, but with the connections that he has to to Klaus, they share an agent, the connection he has to, you know, to Lutz as well. I, I think it's a move that this team wouldn't reach out if they didn't feel like they could bring him in and in him into this team and make it work and the fact that you're an expansion team and you're already talking about bringing in a, a star from the Premier League that again just shows you that this is not an ordinary franchise
1: and an ordinary beginning no to me that says hey they're looking around going okay we're farther along than we expected to be at this point you know because they kind of tried to temper everybody's expectations a week or two before the season and we're like hey you know we're an expansion team we're not really sure how good we're going to be give us time and now they're going, hey, wait a minute. We're better than we thought we were going to be at this point. We've got a legit chance to go for it. Let's go see if we can bring in, like you said, a superstar and get him to kind of kind of blend in with these other guys and see if we can really make a run at the playoffs in our first year here. And I think it would just add to the excitement. I think people would really be excited if you did bring that star in because then I think that does signal to the city, hey, this team really believes they can make a run at it. That it does. That it does. Okay. Quick question before we get out of here:
0: Would you? And I know this is this is going to be hard for you because of the of the pedigree and the the history of of the Cardinals and the Blues here in this city. <clears throat> Would you trade a non playoff season that the Blues already had this year, a non playoff season for the Cardinals, to see SC win an MLS
1: championship in its first year? I know it's oh. tough. That is a tough one. Oh man. That's hard for me to do. I mean, that would be very, very cool. I guess I would say yes, just because it's not going to happen very often that you win in your expansion team, but that's, that's pretty hard to say. And it's not going to happen because the Cardinals are going to go to the post. How about the Cardinals go to, how about the Cardinals win the world series and they win a, uh, championship in their first season.
0: I'm fine with that. If we could have two parades this year in the fall and winter, I'd be uh, totally down for that. 100%. I mean, you talk about a sea of red, you'd have two C's of red because you'd have the city red and you'd have the Cardinal red, and that would be pretty damn cool. It definitely would be two very different shades of red, by the way. Very, very true. All right, man. You got anything else before we head out tonight?
1: Oh man, we've gone for an hour and a half and we didn't even mention the fact that the NFL draft starts a week from today. So we're going to next week or in the next couple of weeks, we're going to have to dig into that because it's going to be really interesting to see what happens there who goes number one what kind of trades are made because it sounds like there could be a couple of pretty high profile quarterbacks that could potentially get traded next week
0: that's very very true as well i mean lamar jackson is one of those names that comes to mind so it's gonna be very interesting to see how that plays out uh, also want to shout out uh, my new gig over at st charles fc That's a USL2, USLW team uh, for soccer. Uh, Make sure you you come out and check out some of these uh, amazing young uh, pre-professionals, a lot of collegiate players that are are getting a a chance to continue on to possibly move into the professional side of things as well. Got some exciting announcements hopefully coming up in the next uh, week or so before the home opener for the men on May 7th and the home opener for the women on May 10th. Tickets are on sale now, so make sure you head over there. You'll, you'll find links to those on our website as well. Um yeah, it, it's 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 a great time to be a sports fan in St. Louis and to be able to
1: sit there and support a lot of successful franchises. It, it, it's it's great to live in St. Louis. Absolutely, absolutely, and you know, keep coming out supporting everybody. Congratulations on your new gig, by the way. I haven't Thank had you. a chance to talk to you a whole lot about it, but that's <laughs> We just haven't had a chance to catch up a whole lot lately, but, con- but congratulations on that. And yes, definitely go support that support the battle Hawks this weekend. Mm-hmm. Watch city this week because they're playing Colorado. And we all know who owns that soccer team out in Denver. And if you don't just take a guess, it's not hard to figure it out. It's the evil empire out there. <laughs> um, you know, and, uh, watch the Cardinals this weekend, be ready to come back in a week and a half and be at Bush stadium. And, uh, go crazy because shohei is going to be in st louis as we roll into the first part of may and i don't know if you heard that today jeff big news jeff Passon came out and reported that if the angels are not in contention at the all-star break shohei otani will definitely be moving on from the angels and as i finish that statement i'm going to say right now stop don't even start the shohei otani to the cardinals crap because it's not going to happen um yep. But Shohei probably will be somewhere behind, besides Anaheim by the All-Star break.
0: I was not expecting anything less. I mean, the Angels just can never seem to get out of their own way. So uh, Shohei, very likely. You may see him here in St. Louis twice this year, depending on which team he goes to at the All-Star break. If it's a National League team, that would change the entire complexion of, of the National League for sure. Or if he goes somewhere else in the American League, we'll see how that plays out. Uh, you also aren't going to see Max Scherzer for 10 games as well if so he got suspended for uh, – the, the rosin sticky situation, and he dropped his appeal just a little while ago, so he will sit out those 10 games. Which, right there, I mean, I don't know, I don't know, I'll, I'll just leave it at that. If that doesn't signify guilt right there, uh, I don't know what does. Um, and it's interesting though, because of the three guys that have been ejected for substances, I think it's Phil Cuzzy has been the guy that ejected all three of it them, has. so. I mean, there's a there's a lot there's a lot going on there. Maybe we're gonna to need to do some CSI MLB
1: here in the next couple of weeks. It is. You hate to see that happen with you know the St. Louis and Scherzer, but uh, you know, like I said, you know, player baseball players for 160 some odd years have been trying to find any little way they can to get an advantage. You know, as the great Bob Gibson once said when he was asked, you know, what do you think of pitchers cheating? Would you do it? He said, Hell yeah, I would if I could find an advantage, but. I never needed one because I was just too damn good. Mm, Love it. I love it. Bob Gibson,
0: the best. Absolutely the best. (laughs) All right. Well, thank you guys for joining us tonight. hope you guys enjoy the show. We'll be back in the coming weeks to preview the NFL draft, as well as keep you updated on the Cardinals and everything else that's going on in the world of sports, because there is still a lot going on. Baseball, hockey playoffs are going on. NBA playoffs are going on. You've got uh, you know MLS season underway, NFL draft, training camps will be getting underway. I mean, so much stuff going on. It's just It'd be insane not to talk about it. So we'll definitely be there for you on the road here in the next couple of weeks. Again, thank you for joining us. For Scott Tobin, I'm Michael Wagon Connect. We will see you guys on the flip side. Hey, it's you, man, here from Casey. For all your sports news, catch the Toasted Tavern with Scott Tobin and the man called Wags weeknights at 9 p.m. You can follow Toasted Tavern on Facebook, Twitter, Instagram, and YouTube. Let's get toasted.